was wearing my Austin 316 shirt out at a bar and I went to the bathroom and there was a line for the bathroom. So I was waiting online. I finally got into the stall. I peed real quick, left the stall. And as I was leaving, the next guy in line saw my shirt and he went, Stone Cold Steve Austin, hell yeah. Which, you know, I just kind of laughed or whatever and washed my hands and I left. But to the other <laughs> 10 people in line who did not see my shirt, it seemed like this dude's pee routine was the kick open a stall door. It goes, Stone Cold Steve Austin, hell yeah. And then start raising hell all over the toilet. <laughs> I mean, which would make him my favorite person ever. Or he calls his penis a Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, oh, oh hell yeah. And then he starts peeing. <laughs> Stone warm. Lukewarm. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Ten Bell Pod. I think this is the point where most oh, podcasts give up. <laughs> so we're doing it. This we're... is a surprise uh, realization. <laughs> I'm Nick Alexander, and I am a fuel injected suicide machine. Oh, dude, can you can cut to me now because that's probably my favorite promo of all time. <laughs> so good. God, Sid Vicious just losing his, or sorry, uh, Sid Justice because he's doing it in the WWF. Just the fuel injected suicide machine promo. I want like, mwah, it's Italian. Kiss your hand, good. Uh, so the guy saying those words is Michael Loving. It's it's true. And we are here in the Manning Cave with Shitty Cannon himself, the Man Scout Jake Manning. Hey, we're live, pal. Oh wait, is that another Sid Vicious promo? <laughs> yeah, that I, okay, that's another one. All right, sorry, I get him confused sometimes. I have half the brains <laughs> that you do. Oh, half the brains. All right, we are off topic already. We're not talking about Psycho Sid. We are talking about one of the great women's wrestlers, one of the great managers of all time. She did it all from the territories to the WWE <laughs> Hall of Fame. It's the sensational, the sensual, the queen, Sherry Marteau. The sister. Don't you fucking sleep the on the sister part. So, Sherry Russell was born February 8th, 1958 in Birmingham, Alabama. Growing up, Sherry loved playing basketball, and she competed in track, just like me. I am Sherry Martell. But did you do the high jump and the 50-yard dash like Sherry Martell did? I did the high jump, the long jump, and the 200 dash. Oh, so you're... It was 150. There's no 150. No, I said... uh, I meant to say 50. I think I said 50. There's no 50. (laughs) There is an indoor track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Nick, the expert on high school (laughs) track. My fucking bad. Yeah. Let's let's all defer to Micah, the degenerate gambler who's been on high school track meets, not the guy whose family actually was a world record holder in... A track and field event, and then also had another uncle who participated at a world class level, who also had a father who was a decathlete, which means he does all the events. See, that's how they get you when they pretend and, to know everything, and then they just they don't let you be an expert on anything. Me and Micah arguing about track and field in front of a guy who went to college for track and field. I think I know what mansplaining means now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know what it is. Oh, you man. guys did it. So. Oh, my God. Mansplain. Fuck. Oh, that's too right. perfect. <laughs> Sherry said when she was a kid that her mother gave her and her sister the option of either going ice skating or watching wrestling matches with her. After a while, Sherry and her sister wanted to watch wrestling with their mom because they used to fight each other all the time going ice skating. 
And I say, what is professional wrestling but a mix of fighting and ice skating? No true words have ever been said on a podcast (laughs) until now. It was her mother who took Sherry to her first ever wrestling match in a cattle auction barn, and it was there she met the fabulous Moolah. (laughs) Oh, God. Can we, uh, I don't know... It's like sometimes you gotta comment on bad jokes, but sometimes you just gotta like delete you, them from fucking I, human history. He, uh, you have no idea how much I laughed about that in my house every day. I check this. Yeah, but, okay, we might not know that, but we know how much Spencer stared at you, <laughs> thinking this oh, is this is the guy, this, this is, is the fucking guy. Oh, this is. The silence is everyone unsubscribing from our podcast. Yeah, right Jake now. was trying to say something, and he's given up. All, all those times, Spencer's like, Nick, you should do more stand-up. And then he told that joke, and she goes, maybe you should do less. Moola. All right. All right. Uh, Sherry <laughs> said that after seeing live wrestling, the seed was planted, and she wanted to become a wrestler. Sherry moved out to Memphis, where she saved up enough money to get her pro wrestling degree, She approached Butch Moore for training. Sherry said when she asked him to teach her how to wrestle, Moore got up from behind his desk, looked her in the eye, and then slapped her in the face as hard as he could. Sherry took the slap and said, is that all you got? After that, he... And then she grabbed the microphone and said, I'm coming for you, Murdoch. (laughs) (laughs) Or is that Rambo 2? Is that Rambo 2? I think it's Rambo 2. I think it's Rambo 2. And we know in Alabama that means they're married. (laughs) (laughs) So after she took the slap, he signed her up and trained her. And goddamn, that is an aggressive business strategy. (laughs) That's like, like, I'm going to be the fucking Inoki of the South. (laughs) How, How many times did he get sued before he found like two people to train? After Memphis, Sherry headed to South Carolina, where she was trained by the flat tire while the training on your way to work of women's wrestling, the fabulous Mola. Eat more chicken. Uh. There she encountered brutal daily training, Mula robbing her blind, and Mula likely saying, hey, suck this guy's dick so he books me. Allegedly. Allegedly. How do we spell it again? I don't know. And and let's bring up the point, the way that Mula trained these girls. She trained, and, and Sherry brought this up in a, a shoot interview, and I don't think this has ever been fully explained. And I don't know if I'm perpetuating an urban legend. Let's do it. But let's give it a shot and see what happens. But I definitely know the result that there was a time that a lot of the females, they would work the right side of the body. The men have always worked the left. I was always told that Mula would train the girls to work the right side and her girls only. So that way other female wrestlers couldn't work each other and any girl underneath her tutelage couldn't go out and wrestle anywhere else because they'd be so used to wrestling on the right side if they wrestled a girl who not under her tutelage it'd be confusing and they wouldn't have good matches and no girl could leave her tutelage or be not underneath her thumb anymore because she would wrestle a girl that's from the left side and they'd be all confused i know this is probably simplifying it in training and everything but is i mean is it going to be that hard to work the other side oh yeah, yeah. george south like just dicking around in class one day he goes all right let's do it like the mexicans do which well, let's hold on <laughs> which, they work the right side uh, yeah which they work the right side let's let's <laughs> just simplify that very fast and, and he probably said it very problematic but he made us do things from the right side one day and boy was it 
Like, yeah, and, and up the thing was is, down. <laughs> up was down all over the place, yeah. and the, and that's what was weird. Like, I'd been wrestling like five or six years at the time, and then just the simple change of like, why don't we do it from the other side? You're like, holy cow, this is completely wrong. Yeah. So that way, when I see people doing stuff from the wrong side, which I see a lot, yeah. uh, unfortunately. I'm just like, how are you able to do that? <laughs> and think about this too. Like, I can walk out to a gym and I can hit probably eight for 10 free throws, no problem. But if you put me under pressure, under the lights, under cameras, under, you know, yeah. fatigue, yeah. I'm going to probably go do two some, for 10, you know? Do something that you're so not accustomed like, to doing. It's this muscle memory that would absolutely fuck with you, I yeah. think, when you're working the opposite side. But that was always the what I heard is Mula was the one that did that because she didn't want the girls to leave from her tutelage or, or leave from her control. So She's like putting a signature on all. And see, and, I, and that was something that I was hoping was going to come up when we were doing the Babs and uh, Marva and, and Ethel podcast right. that they would talk about how like uh, the females wrestled the same as the men, which I think there were women that did, but I think Mula was the one that was like, Oh, I'm going to teach these girls all from the right side. So that way they all have to wrestle with me and they can't go anywhere else. And all my girls can wrestle each other. So, cause that was what Mula did is she just had a whole crop of girls. And when you're a promoter and you're just trying to book female wrestlers for a short period of time, cause at that time that's, that's what it was like, okay, we're going to bring the women in for two weeks or we're going to bring them in for a month or however long the territories want them, as opposed to calling four different women, just call it Mula and be like, Hey, Lillian, yeah. you got four girls that can be in Memphis, Tennessee for six to eight weeks. Yeah, I got two girls. I'm going to send them away. These are their names. These are their shots. Um, she I'll send them right. an Amazon Prime package. And- <laughs> yes, yeah, so ships them right out. And then all of a sudden she's, you know, then all of a sudden Vince Sr. is like, hey, I need a women's tag match from Madison Square Garden on this Thursday. Okay, and then send them over here. And then... Grams down in Florida, like, hey, I need two females down here. Sure, I'll send them down there. And then, as opposed to him making two phone calls, you're just calling up Moolah and she's sending them all over the place. Where if you've got these independent girls that are working the left side, you can't call one of them. You have to find two, right? Yeah, you have to have to find two. Whereas making the one phone call, and she was smart to realize, I have, then I can own female wrestling. And that's basically how. You know, they refer to her as a, that's a shrewd businesswoman. Is, wow. what we, is what we used to say about Moolah. That, that's a positive spin. Yeah, that was a positive spin that all of a sudden has spun out of control to her oh, forcing she's women. she's a pimp. She's a pimp. <laughs> that's what it's deviated to. After training with Moolah, she spent some time in Japan, which is an important time for any young wrestler. I watched the Devil Masami match. They did the whole flowers thing, like the crowd. It was just like seeing Sherry in this environment that I'm used to seeing Kenta Kobashi or yeah. Manami Toyota. It was just like, what What are you doing, Sherry? And the, I mean, like, I marked out right then and there. But uh, I mean, it was basically a big brawl. Hit her with chairs, throw her into the crowd, did some hard bumps. I mean, those Japanese rings are stiff as shit. She took like a couple of suplexes and a hard splash, and that was it. There was an opening to another Japanese match where they give the flowers. Sherry grabs the flowers, does Sherry scream, ah! And then throws them into the crowd, and then a streamer hits her, and she sells it like she got hit by a rock and flips out. <laughs> it was good stuff if you want to YouTube it. From Japan, she headed over to Memphis, Tennessee, where she was managed by Jim Cornette, and Sherry was the first person Jim ever managed. While in Memphis, she took part of a 30-person battle royal. 
she said she had no idea how she was supposed to take a bump in the middle of a ring that was filled with that so many people. <laughs> and that's because you're not supposed to. But when she did, the 6'10", 420-pound Plowboy Frazier tripped over her, landed on her leg, which put her out of action for an entire year. She actually, at that point, planned to just give up wrestling altogether. But she had picked up a wrestling magazine one day, and she decided she was still going to chase that sweet, sweet dragon. So after deciding she wanted to get back into wrestling, she headed up to Vern Gagne's AWA, where she not only wrestled, but she got her first taste of managing. She debuted in AWA on September 28th of 85 at Super Clash in Chicago. She defeated Candy Devine for the AWA Women's Championship. Which is always weird. I think AWA did this a lot, and I think I think even WWF did this a lot and like to kind of talk through this. It's interesting to me is she won the, the women's title, and then she went to managing. Yeah. It seems backwards in a sense because later she'd do it. And I know a couple other people. I think Medusa won the AWA title, and then she was exclusively managing Kurt Hennig. For a while, like that's some that's a common theme that happens a lot in this area where I think it's just like you look at it like a career of Trish Stratus. She starts off managing and then she eventually would become a wrestler. So it's just it's weird to me that here you have this fantastic female wrestler. Let's put the belt on her. Okay, she's really great, awesome, really happy with her title run. Let's make her a manager and have her never wrestle again. <laughs> Do you like, think that's because right off the bat it would make her legit and I guess and through the eyes of 80s wrestling promoters, worthy to manage these men? I'm thinking that's what it is. Like, let's give this guy some credibility because now former AWA women's champion yeah, is now managing so. him. So I, th- I think in kind of a sense, it, it, it does that. And I think that's what they're going for. Like, oh, not winning the title is your ceiling, but being the second to a man is, which is very, you know, I I, I just want to, I just want to make that point because it's a trend that I've noticed a couple of times over in some other researches. And I just, I just want to point that out that I find (laughs) that odd. Like I I get some girl, okay, she's training, but we want to put her on the show. Let's have her manage for a while and then we'll work her into some matches and she gets better. She'll start having regular. And that's usually how the progression usually always goes. But for whatever reason, it's backwards here. Yeah, and maybe yeah. that's exactly why. Yeah. I think just from Sherry early great heel stuff that she did, she beats Candy Divine, splashes her, she wins the belt, she immediately grabs the belt and starts beating Candy Divine <laughs> in the head with it. It's just like we need more sore winner heels, I think. It's well, just and also like, too, the just, AWA just... women's title had like these winged like eagle <laughs> things on there. So like they're kind of like almost like pointy ends. Yeah, so when she's up. swinging it, yeah. she really could have caused some permanent damage there. I just I just love that. It's like I want it. I have no class. <laughs> She'd trade the belt with Candy, uh, winning it a total of three times. While in AWA, it was apparently the living legend Larry Zabisco who not only encouraged her to stay in the wrestling business, but told her she'd be an awesome manager. And she credits managing Buddy Rose and Doug Somers for helping her w- along with her wrestling promos and wrestling psychology. And let's do a little bit of rewind here. When she was under uh, Moolah's camp and control, for lack of a better word, 
she actually did a spot with Buddy Rose prior to AWA. If, if the timeline tracks correctly, if I got all my timeline in my head correct, Buddy Rose used to do this thing where he had rose buds, where it was just these attractive yeah. valets that would take off his robe. Because yeah, because he was Playboy Buddy Rose, so he'd have these rose buds come out with him, and what they would do is they would take usually female wrestlers that were in that weekend for whatever reason, and they would be like one of the multitude valets that would come to the ring with Buddy Rose, and Sherry Martell was one of those rose buds for Buddy Rose's early. 80s, maybe even late 70s run in WWF in Madison Square Garden. And I actually found a picture of Sherry Martell being with Playboy Buddy Rose in the ring, mm-hmm. taking off the rope. Sherry is winning titles. She's getting in-ring experience, managing experience. She's starting to make her name for herself. And that's when she met former AWA wrestler, now turned WWF commentator and Hollywood hotshot, Jesse Ventura. Jesse asked Sherry if she wanted to work for Vince. And a few months later, Blackjack Lanza left her a message to call Vince. And after putting in her two weeks with Vern, she'd head up to New York and work for the WWF. Which was crazy because Sherry said that she turned down a two-year deal, which was just $500 per week. For AWA. For AWA. To be clear. But I mean, that's... Way Vern was, he was very tight with money. Also, too, the the AWA territory ran a little bit differently. The summer months were slower; like they didn't have a lot of shows, if any, at all. Oh, because it's in Minneapolis, and I bet people are doing other shit because exactly. it's warm outside. Mm-hmm. Right? But when obviously when it's cold, people want to do something the indoors. Woodside. Yeah, so like it was always a winter month territory so like july they didn't run any shows so like oh, that's a whole month run any shows i mean i've heard that they might have had like one or two just yeah, to do know, tv but tapings still, but just, they wouldn't do a house show run uh, you yeah. wouldn't have a full schedule of shows you wouldn't be working four or five days a week yeah. in july in minneapolis sherry would make her wwf debut july 24th 1987 and she would defeat the fabulous moolah for the wwf women's championship and this match is kind of awkward because it's like why is this young lady beating up her chain smoking aunt i'm sure she has a lot of wrong opinions about the war but (laughs) either way walking into the wwf and beating moolah is it's kind of a push for Sherry right off the bat, especially since Mula is an evil humanoid alien bit on galactic domination who after escaping the space dumpster the great sage Zordon put her in, she was able to hold the women's title for a thousand years. That's the plot for Power Rangers. Oh. Sherry would have a nice long run as champion, beating the likes of Debbie Combs and Velvet McIntyre. Velvet yeah. was fucking great. Sherry. Don't be hating on Debbie Combs over there. Too. <laughs> I, know, I just don't know her. Oh, I, I know her quite well. Uh, oh, uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, she 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 enchanted me one you day. Fucking, you threw I, I met her at Cauliflower Alley Club, and she showed me some pictures of her when she was younger. And I'm like, oh Dude, yeah, you are I'm just, with it. Just throwing all types of. I'm I was like I am I am with it, and then like the way she was talking, I'm like I'm with it now. I am with it now, Debbie. Holler at me. (laughs) Sherry would be part of the first ever Survivor Series, November 26, 1987, and therefore the first ever women's match at Survivor Series, and there wouldn't be another women's match until 1995. Let me tell you how fucking awesome 
Sherry's gear was in that match. Was, <laughs> she has like this black and white, I think like a jumpsuit thing. Nope. I was dating a female wrestler at the time, and I remember her going, ooh, I got to have me that. <laughs> like I, I almost made that as a gift for the girl that I was dating. <laughs> Just because she was such a Sherry fan. Yeah. But I saw that gear. I'm like, God damn, that's some good <laughs> gear. Like, that, that's always a thing. Like, with female wrestlers, the idea of, like, getting just, like, absolutely amazing gear. Where, where at this time, there a lot of them are in one pieces and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and focusing on that. But, like, just seeing this in this context right here, obviously, like, you know, what we know Sherry later is, is really going over the top and, and going that extra mile on something. This is a perfect example of that with Sherry right here. That black and white gear from Survivor Series 1987. Go out of your way to see that. Also, too, the match is incredible. Yeah, the, uh, was jumping, uh, the jumping bomb angels yeah, are God, they, fucking amazing. They are so good. The crowd's all over them, too. They're popping like hell. And I think it was Leilani Kai did this one move that I don't think I've ever seen anybody else. It's... it's um. Her opponent was in an electric chair drop position yeah. or an O'Connell roll position, like the girl sitting up on her right. shoulders. She's getting close to the ropes. She bends over and gives like a stun gun with this girl who's on her shoulders and then falls Flies back, back. Yep. into an electric chair. It's like a slingshot electric chair <laughs> drop. I was like, holy shit, people are doing that today. Like I was like, wow. The, the jumping bomb angels are... 30 years ahead of their time for WWE. Yeah, they, they were, were amazing. so fucking it was, good. And then Jimmy Hart's like, I mean, I forgot that like he's the manager of the women's tag champs. Glamour girls, baby. Ooh, Glamour baby. Girls. Ooh, the Glamour girls. I got you, baby. <laughs> In this match, Sherry would get beat with a pinning combination by uh, Velvet McIntyre. And I believe that, Respect. Would, sh- sh- that would set up a uh, house show run between the two. Yeah. And the uh, Jumping Bob Angels eventually get the win for Moodless Team. Because if they didn't, they didn't get any food <laughs> yeah. that night. Yeah. After 15 months as champion, Sherry would lose her belt to Rockin' Robin October 8th, 1988 in Paris, France. Good and, damn match. Oh my God, it's so good. It's really great. Like, Robin is great. Sherry is great. The back and forth is good. Bobby and Gorilla are just crushing on commentary. Oh, the best part was, not only did Sherry lose her belt, but Bobby lost a restaurant <laughs> meal bet to Gorilla. In France. In uh, France. I mean, Bobby's probably out like a good $200. <laughs> I think this is my favorite Sherry wrestling match. Dude, it's so good. And then it's shot so weird because the venue they were at in France, if they did the normal heart camera shot, they had these bright-ass lights above the ring. And if they did the normal shot, it would it was like glare. It was just glare, 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 glare. So they had to shoot it from all these weird angles you never get from WWF. And it was, that made it so much more interesting on top of it being like this amazing match. Well, and they probably use like international crews. So they probably didn't have their regular crews over there too. Like, I don't think they brought cameramen over. They probably use right. local cameramen. But question, do you guys know who Rockin' Robin's father is? Ooh, oh, man. man. I want to know this. Hold on. Let me. You don't know, you don't know her, her family lineage? Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster. Yeah, that's where I was. That's where I went to. <laughs> Robin, Rooster. That should have been a gimmick. Sorry. Go on. She is the daughter of Grizzly Smith, oh. and she is the sister of Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, what? Jesus. What? And uh, I believe Sam Houston as well. Holy shit. Yep. That's that whole uh, little family. After that, Sherry would pretty much work house shows exclusively with Robin as the WWF, at least on TV, got rid of the women's division altogether. The Divas Revolution. Yeah. 
But luckily for Sherry, she had learned to manage in the AWA. And after WrestleMania 5, she get in the middle of one of the biggest wrestling feuds in history. At WrestleMania 5, Hogan won the title from Macho Man because I believe in 89, they put the belt on whoever could do the most cocaine. Since Elizabeth took Hogan's side on the Yoko Ono wing of the Mega Powers, <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage needed a new manager and in stepped Sensational Sherry. And Sherry was a great manager. She kept all the focus on the wrestler while at the same time enhancing and adding to any situation or promo thrown at her. And since she was a great wrestler, she could bump her ass off as a manager. Yeah. She was intense, she was loud, and she was awesome. Especially all of those when Macho Man had to tag with Zeus. <laughs> and the promos that they had to cut oh for that cage match and her climbing <laughs> yeah. around. Like, that's just go out of your way to watch it. It's incredible. Um, also, please look up the Arsenio Hall episode <laughs> that they both appeared on. Uh, Sherry starts it off and she basically dry humps Arsenio with sexual assault. But then ooh, Zeus, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Zeus comes out and... They go above and beyond what I think it turns into for just promoting a pay-per-view. Zeus, like, scares people off the set. The cameraman's shit in his pants. They do the whole shaky cam thing. Sherry, Zeus, Arsenio, it's good shit. And the match they were promoting was SummerSlam, where Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake would face Sherry, managed by a team of Macho Man Randy Savage and Zeus. Zeus? From No Holds Barred, Zeus, the greatest gimmick ever, based on a straight-to-VHS movie. He was uh, Debo in Friday? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 can we get the sound? <laughs> and uh, he may be wrestling Freight Train sometime in the future. I don't know. Oh, fuck yeah. I don't know. I don't the weirdest know. thing about Zeus Depends is... if he comes off his price. He's got to come off his price uh, first. Is this real? Are you talking for real? Oh, I'm really... The promo's probably already out by the time Holy this episode is released. Fuck. Sidebar... Look up, Zeus wrestled Abdullah the Butcher in Puerto Rico. No way. Yeah, there's yeah. Zeus versus Abdullah the Butcher in Puerto Rico. He's like, you know what? I really love this. I'm going to wrestle Zeus in Puerto Rico. I'm going to wrestle Abdullah in Puerto Rico. I bet he changed his fucking mind real quick. Uh, <laughs> not, not to correct you, I guarantee it wasn't like, hey, I love this. It was more like, hey, um, Tiny, this is your agent. <laughs> this man named Carlos Colon. Uh, he... Giving me a whole shit ton of money for you to come down and wrestle again. Do you want to do that? Cut I, scene to Zeus just with a fork shoved up his ass, and he's like, I regret this. <laughs> for this match, Hogan brings out Elizabeth before the match, who comes out to a huge pop and Macho Man's music. Talk about taking everything in the split. She took the man's intro music. Is it? Is this wrestling cuckolding? Is that what this is? <laughs> Basically. And I will be frank here. This match is poop. It is a poop match. Wow. I, I, I'm shocked that it would be that, Nick. Holy fuck. Thanks for the mind-blowing news. Release. Promo work, though. A plus. plus. 10%. You as, bought the pay-per-view. As far as Sherry in this match, you know, she's cheering for a guy. She's teasing showdowns with Elizabeth. She pulls Hogan's leg on a suplex. Towards the end of the match, Sherry is dumped into the ring, losing her loaded purse, Ugh. which Hogan picks up like a proper Southern Belle and hits Zeus with. Body slam, leg drop, inward, Hogan's team wins. <laughs> After the match... Hogan Atomic drops Sherry into an Elizabeth bitch slap, and then Brutus cuts her hair, 
which is like the worst day of this poor woman's Ugh. life. But since it's 80s wrestling, the crowd pops the roof off the place. Oh, and if I know anything about Sherry, she loved every second yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although uh, Sherry was a manager and the women's division was off TV, she was still working house shows as a wrestler. I assume that's how she was making her money, like on the regular. Uh, I'm sure she was paid to be a manager as well. Oh, well, Man, that too, she, but, she, you know, uh, it's just TV. She'd only get paid for TV, right? No, but she'd be there in the ma- the house shows as oh, well. Oh, okay. You know, I mean. What is the break? I mean, like, I always wonder, like, are managers. Specifically in Vince's structure of how he paid people, yeah, what would like be the break for a manager? Would some wrestlers think they're not performing or, like, taking bumps? or if they Well, don't... if she was a part of the local promos that were promoting the house show, which I'm sure she would well, because yeah, that's totally. why she would be managing. Yeah. She's part of a package deal of. Her and Macho Man. So if her and Macho Man yeah, are cutting so promos she's and she's murdering it that way. So and if Macho Man's in the main event of said town, she's the manager of the main event. I'm sure she's taking quite well of maybe making more than what she would have made if she was in ring in the second match. Mm-hmm. Well, Sherry would get back into wrestling in some of these house shows and she'd start wrestling singles matches against Sapphire. And then later she'd team up with Macho King and Queen Sherry and him would face Sapphire with Dusty Rhodes, leading to WrestleMania 6. Now, at WrestleMania 6, Sherry and the Macho King would face Sapphire in the American Dream. Before the match again, Dusty gets on the mic. He calls out Elizabeth, who comes out again to Macho's music and a huge, huge, huge pop. Uh, I dare you to find a match with more top rope double axe handles than this match. <laughs> Macho does like 15 of them. It's nuts. That's his bread and butter. Sherry's back in the ring on for a televised event. She's doing the best she can with Sapphire, who is no dynamite kid. The match ends when Sapphire schoolyard ducks behind Sherry. Elizabeth pushes her. Sapphire rolls her up, and we get to hear that sweet, sweet American dream theme. Sherry would stay by Macho's side throughout the next year, and eventually they get in the feud with the Ultimate Warrior. The two of them would even cost Ultimate Warrior his WWF championship, attacking him in a match with Sergeant Slaughter at the Royal Rumble, and this led to what was billed as the first ever WWF career versus career match at WrestleMania 7. So Warrior comes out, he snorts 300 milligrams of HGH off a baby in the front row. Yeah, it's fine. And then he and Macho Man put on an amazing match, the best of Warrior's career for sure. Yeah, it probably is. So... We're going to cover Macho Man, we're going to cover Warrior, we're going to talk about this match. So keeping the attention on Sherry for this episode, she's all over this match. She gets in the ring early and Warrior throws Savage at her. She gets some cheap shots in on Warrior on the outside. And then she's part of one of the biggest spots of the match when she dives off the top rope, shoe in hand, but Warrior ducks out of the way and she clocks Macho Man. Mm. Warrior and Macho, they're working their asses off. Sherry is working her ass off, bumping and screaming and fighting across the screen. Eventually, Warrior gets the win. After the match, Sherry, who is now out of a job because her client is out of a job, attacks the injured Macho Man. Oh, God. However, Elizabeth was in the crowd, so she runs in and tosses her out of the ring. And after Macho and Elizabeth reunite in a Disney Pixar emotional magical moment, and, and you cried, I, it's I, really I did, good. I did not cry. Yeah, you cried, cried like a bitch. Well, you want to cry some more? Everybody involved with that match is Jesus dead. fucking Christ. Think about that. 
I'm not sure who the referee I was is. About to ask who the ref is. Well, Everyone. we mentioned him on this podcast, so he's dead now. That's true. Donald Trump. <laughs> Man, I know we're going to talk about it eventually, whoever we cover first, but what a good goddamn match. Oh, it's so... I mean, it really is. The, the drama, the emotion. Damn, it's good. So later on that same WrestleMania card, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase faced Virgil with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Ted loses via countout, and then a fight breaks out with Piper and Ted, and he starts welling on him with a crutch. Sherry flies out of the back, saving Ted DiBiase, attacking Piper, and from there she would manage Ted well into 1992. Her teddy bear. After uh, leaving Ted, she ended up managing Shawn Michaels. And she'd even do Shawn's theme, singing. <laughs> it's really good. Michaels at the time was a self-absorbed douchebag. Sorry, Michaels' gimmick at the time was being a self-absorbed douchebag. Wash your mouth. <laughs> Live the life. Don't, don't, you, don't you besperch the name. I, I, as we all know on this podcast, I am anything if I'm not a click apologist. <laughs> As part of Sean's gimmick, he would admire himself before and during matches in a mirror. But before a match, Sean's ex-partner, Marty Jannetty, would hop out of the crowd wearing a shirt with playing cards on it that just says, Guns. <laughs> 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 he, he, he attacks Sean and grabs the mirror from Sherry. And when Marty swung it at Sean, he pulled Sherry in front of him, and goddamn, he clocked the oh, shit out of her. Oh, she bumped her, bumping, bumping. As Marty Janetti has such a bad history with reflective surfaces, he's not doing cocaine off of. Oh. After being hit with the mirror, Sherry was completely off TV until the 1993 Royal Rumble when Sean faced Marty. Sherry would be in a neutral corner for the match, but eventually get into the ring. She swung at Sean with her shoe, but Sean ducks. She hits Marty. HBK hits a super kick and wins. I listened to a shoot from Marty about this match, and apparently Vince thought this match was so bad, Marty Jannetty got fired over it. So him and Sean had been working out this match at house shows and just burning the building down every night, just killing it. Last second, they shoved Sherry into this match, which threw off the pacing and the spots and the flow and apparently made it awful. Sean blamed it all on Marty, saying he was drunk, so Vince fired him. And that would awkwardly end the angle between the three of them. I, I kind of believe that second one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of what I know about Marty. That, that seems more that one. And that's why we never got Marty versus Sean at a WrestleMania. Oh, man. So next, Sherry would team up with Tatanka, who would face Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 9, which led to Shawn Michaels having a new manager, Luna Vachon. Luna would attack Sherry at WrestleMania 9, setting up what should have been an epic feud. We talked about this on our Luna Vachon episode, and it really sucks it didn't get this proper ending between two of the greatest women's wrestlers of this or any era. It was just house shows and like wrestling challenge or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was bad. Um, it didn't get a proper ending because Sherry would soon be fired for doing too many drugs. Which she openly admits and she's sorry for. And uh... That's what's so amazing about the promo. Yeah, she just owns up to everything yeah. about drugs. Uh, roughly her comment on her drug use is saying it cost her a great job, it, friendships too. And at the time, she believed that drugs made her a better performer. She was unable to see what everyone else was seeing. And at the time, she was stubborn. She was a rebel, and she didn't care what she did. After her WWF release, 
She had a short, short stop in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, reuniting with her old pal Jim Cornette. Which is not Smoky Mountain, but it might as well be because Sonny shows up in the match. But there's an NWA match at this point that's on YouTube where it's uh, Jim Cornette versus Sherry Martell. And uh, the stipulation is it's a spanking match. <laughs> and if you lose the match, you get spanked. I don't want to spoil it, but Jim Cornette loses, but then somehow holds Sherry down and spanks her. And we don't get to see Cornette getting spanked. It's total bullshit. <laughs> In 93, Sherry dropped by ECW where she managed Shane Douglas. Oh, and know what else she did in ECW. She, and I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think it like ever translated to a match, but she did like this angle, and I think it was to build to a match. And it was like this shoot angle thing. It was with Medusa, and it was at this fan convention. And this was on ECW TV. And when I was dating a a female wrestler that loved Sherry, and I was telling her about this, and she was like, she goes, I've never heard of this before. I'm like, well, I got to go to the office and get the DVD of this. I got to show you this. And basically it was, it was this fan convention. It was one of those, I think, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the guy's name was. It was the same promoter that booked Kerry Von Eric in one of his last matches and like he wore a mask and pretended he was someone else and wow. he, the guy would always book all I can't for I'm I'm drawing a blank on who that guy is but it was this big fan convention and it had Medusa there and Medusa was, at the time was with Greg the Hammer Valentine and they did this they filmed this whole thing where Medusa was sitting down at like this it was like in a hotel lobby and like fans were kind of around and they both had microphones and I can't remember if Sherry walked in or what it was but these two women were sitting in like these chairs that are obviously in like a hotel like lobby area outside of like a ballroom whatever and they're talking and Sherry was like talking shit about Medusa and like oh yeah yeah you're real good Medusa yeah yeah you really come a long way and stuff like that yeah you really you know, you hadn't done much in the States. You know, I've I've been with WWF. Like, I've been to WrestleMania before. Medusa, I guess you did some stuff in Japan. And I guess people are pretty excited about that. I don't know. And he goes, I know you're a big deal over there. But you want to know why you're a big deal over there? That's because all the women are beep. And I've disputed this with uh, the girl I was dating at the time. Because I'm pretty sure that? they're saying the whole reason the, you're so big over there is because all the women fuck all the men over there. Uh, She's like, no, I think she said that all the women are fucking each other over there. Because that, that's, an, that's also a, a thing over there that some of the Japanese female wrestlers, they're not allowed to date anybody. So you have all these women. They're usually oh, living so and around they each other. Deal with what they got. Yes, it, it comes like a situation, and they, they fall for each other, and they become attracted to each other because they're all huh. fit, athletic, good you looking. know, yeah, good looking. <laughs> yeah. All understand each other's circumstances, and everybody has needs in a certain sense, and huh. and, and that. But I always felt that she. I thought I heard the words "they fucking on the men" because I do know that some female wrestlers did hook up with some of the male wrestlers as well, but. It could go either way, but I just like I said, the only reason you were successful because everybody was fucking everybody over there, and I just I just love that they put that on TV. You know, it's a shoot when the beep is beep. Yeah, yeah, it, it, <laughs> when it's exa- long. Exactly, it was, it was like a long beep, and I'm just and the, keep in mind like this ECW at this time was I mean they I think they were. St- they might have still been using Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka at this period of time. Like, this is Eastern, this is Eastern Championship Wrestling. This is, like, before it's, like, hardcore. Before Douglas threw the belt down. Shit. Yeah, I mean, it's that type of stuff. Yeah. So, like, 
I just I always point as like this is when like it got really edgy. <laughs> yeah. So like Sherry was like at the forefront of making ECW yeah. edgy, and I and I always point to that like right there because I. I remember going through all the tapes and converting them over to a digital format and looking through them, and they were all very much like, like I said, Don Morocco and Eddie <laughs> Gilbert, and then then all of a sudden Sherry pops up, and then this happens, and I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Like, yeah, that's fucked, man. I haven't seen that. I gotta watch that. You, you should. I highly recommend it. Eventually, Sherry would wind up in WCW on the recommendation of Kevin Sullivan. Because Sullivan was in ECW at the time too, and he kind of pulled her from that, right? Yeah, because yeah. like Sullivan was coming in with, I think they were using the Headhunters yeah, and yeah, they're, they're like Wing Canamira. That's when like Sullivan was like just fucking murdering like I think it was a Wing Canamira like in Smoky Mountain and just fucking yeah. getting tied up in the woods and cutting like weird ass fucking promos and then going to ECW and hitting somebody in the balls with fucking <laughs> monkey wrenches and shit like that. God bless. Him. Bringing over Hugh Morris and tell him to fucking do a moonsault in ECW and Miguel Perez Jr. and whatever fucking shit was going on there. Her original WCW plans were to manage Kevin and Dave Sullivan against Missy Hyatt and the Nasty Boys, but after Hyatt was fired in February of 94, they decided to go with no managers at all. There was some discussion for Sherry being a wrestler, but because of her drug use and her body breaking down a little bit, WCW decided against it. Also, do WCW really didn't have a lot of female wrestlers yeah. anyways. Like, and that's, that's, that's a tough thing about this era is I, I don't know if like Mula like stopped training women as much as possible. Like she didn't have as many girls under her camp. And also too, whatever female talent out there was probably being allocated to the glows and the other promotions that, that were out there. And, and there was enough girls out there that were getting suitable training that Mula lost that stranglehold yeah. that she had over female wrestling. And when Mula's pipeline kind of run to WWF and not, WCW. Yeah. So yeah. So WCW never really had access to it because Moolah, if she had anybody, would send it there. But then female wrestling was segmented because they'd have these all female wrestling promotions. So set on becoming a manager again on April twenty third, nineteen ninety four, Sherry made her debut on WCW Saturday Night under the name Sensuous Sherry. In an interview with Mean Jean, she said her goal was to find her a man who could bring her the WCW Heavyweight Championship. Jake will marry the first girl who makes that her Tinder bio. Well, <laughs> and can we point out how horny Mean Jean was in that uh, debut for Sherry? Also, oh, too, kisses him and she, he's just like, oh, 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 you can see his bald head just just get harder and pointier. So, so will mine when I find a woman's <laughs> Tinder bio that is a uh, sex, muscle, and diamonds. <laughs> From our, uh, you hit it. You didn't even. Do okay, it. I got. I, I want to make sure I got it. Got yeah, all three of them. It. Okay, so I got a, a little callback. Woman scout. Does that do anything for you? No, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> that's they, they, related. You know, you they. Know. Saying, but I there know. are so many women like, oh, should I dress up like a Girl Scout for you? No, I'm fucking. I dress up more like a Girl Scout than you do. I'm. <laughs> oh, we're fine. Okay, God. like just. I really like the possibility no, of just trying that out for nice. a couple weeks. Just nice, nice black undies with a nice trim. That's all I fucking need, man. Like. Simple, yeah. simple man, simple needs. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna fight you if you want to express yourself lingerie wise. <laughs> but I mean, really, at the end of the day, if you just nice black bra, nice black panties, you know what I'm saying? Because when we, if I get to the point, if I get that point with you as a woman that you've you've felt comfortable enough 
with me to to display that in front of me obviously you are a woman of intelligence <laughs> grace uh diamonds muscle and sex <laughs> and I've already been uh, aroused intellectually and I will obviously be aroused uh, physically as well. Me and Nick are the ones drinking tonight, by the way. (laughs) I'm just speaking from the heart, my friend. (laughs) So on June 24th at Clash of Champions 27, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship and the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship would be unified in a match between Ric Flair and the man they call Sting. Sherry walks out before the match starts to reveal that she has some sting face paint on. There's a spot in this match where apparently they learned nothing from Rick Rude because Sting dives to the outside and Flair pulls Sherry in front of him. so good. And her head is like a tenth of an inch from just getting decapitated on the guardrail. Sting destroys her. He totally, like, her body is in frame and you see her and then Sting's body in... She disappears. It's just like, it's just a total, just like. Sherry pulls herself up, and while Sting is checking in on her, Flair rolls him up and unifies the titles. After the match, she helps Rick attack Sting, and Shivani is like, it was a setup! It was a setup! Or Sting just murdered her 10 seconds ago, and maybe she's mad about that. (laughs) But uh, Sherry hits Sting with a top rope splash. She did this a lot in WCW. And then Hogan comes out to save Sting with his brand new badass theme song by Ace Freely. At Bash at the Beach, Sherry would manage Ric Flair as he faced Hulk Hogan, who was making his WCW in-ring debut. So Sherry already all up in some wrestling history again. We'll also get into that actual match when Jake finally snaps and murders Ric Flair. But Shaq comes out to present the the new WCW title belt. Sorry, Um, Jake just did like a side glance look at me like, it's going to (laughs) happen. What are you talking about? I I would never... I would. I have no motive. Your entire stand-up set is incriminating evidence. <laughs> Shaq brings the new title belt out. Mr. T comes out with Hulk, proving he's not racist. In the uh, pre-match, Michael Buffer compares this match to the moon landing. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because they're both a work, brother. Uh, that's true. Eventually, Sherry throws Flair some brass knuckles before Mr. T drags her away. Flair... <laughs> Dex Hogan, but he still kicks out. Uh, Hulk's up, comeback, leg drop, and new WCW heavyweight champion. It's just like every big wrestling celebrity. Everything. Sherry more or less wrap up her flair managerial duties at 94's Halloween Havoc and Flair's rematch against Hulk Hogan in a still cage career versus career match refed by Mr. Fucking T. It's actually it's a, it's a fun match. It's uh, fuck you! It's a fucking amazing match <laughs> because of fucking Sherry fucking Martel I mean, yeah, and put some goddamn. Really you guys got that. Oh fuck! Sherry is fucking unbelievable in this match. Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. Whatever. Rick Flair. Rick Flair. Nothing. Not, you know. My personal <laughs> feelings aside. Ric Flair regarded one of the best wrestlers of all time. This fucking match right here, Sherry is bumping beat 
for beat with Ric Flair at one point in time, like the end of the entire end of this match, Sherry is fucking on point with nature boy, Ric Flair at every fucking turn. And she is doing that shit barefoot and in fucking lingerie. And that is fucking incredible looking attractive as all get out and still keeping up with, 16-time world heavyweight champion Ric Flair. Fuck you if you don't fucking like this match. It gets put over the fucking line of good matches solely, solely because of Sensational Sherry. I feel really shitty that I didn't watch this one in preparation. You fucking need to. I'm going to... I think I'm just going to put it at number one on my list or Jake's (laughs) going to beat me up. I, I haven't seen the Bash of the Beach match. I did end up seeing the Halloween Havoc match for how did this get booked and when I saw it I go I don't need to see the first one (laughs) this match is incredible solely because of Sherry because she's amazing this is exactly why I was excited about this episode I mean it capitalates a little bit like the ability that Sherry has to be credible as as a star credible as somebody who could be physically impactful in a match right also extremely attractive but also too in her own way not in a like oh obviously like pam anderson is obviously attractive but the fact that she is her own entity and she is her own sense of style and she's attractive in that and somehow that makes it that much more attractive because it is uniquely her and at the same time too she is a a physical impactful uh threat to hulk Hogan and I buy it and I believe it. Just she's climbing a fucking cage and she's getting her clothes ripped off while she does it and she's not falling off the cage. She's jumping off the fucking cage. Holy fucking shit. Just <laughs> love. That's all I have to say. Just love I'm for cool. her on a respect level, love for her on all levels that I could possibly have love for a human being. That's what this match is. And it really shows you how a manager can impact a match. I mean, you're talking about Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, two of the biggest wrestlers. And then Sherry Martel steals the show as a manager. Oh, yeah. If if you just use people correctly, you get this amazing total product that's that's great. Yeah, it just puts it over the top. And also, too, another thing that I think it was about this time, because this is like shortly after, like, I know Flair was dealing with Vertigo. I don't know if this was, yeah, yeah, he had vertigo. I think either in the, I think it was in the WWF. He was dealing with it for a short period of time and it was while, and I might as well bring it up. So we're talking about like Sherry and flair. And I remember flair talking about this in his interview. Like he was talking about how he had vertigo so bad. He couldn't like, he was like stuck in Nashville and like Sherry took care of him. You know, like he, he couldn't fly and he just needed somebody to kind of take care of him because he couldn't Jesus stand up Christ. for long periods of time. And she was she like, yeah, up? Fuck. yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that you, you're fed, you're taken care of. And, and basically like, you know, Rick's like, yeah, like sure. I was stuck in Nashville and Sherry just nursed me back to health. Like if it wasn't for her, I was just been stuck, you know, that's just one of the things about her. Not only could she do all the things with that match, but outside of the ring, she's somebody you could put your, your trust in. Right to take care of you when things go bad. 
I was trying to fit this in earlier, but it's, she talks about how when she worked with Macho Man or Ted DiBiase or HBK, she always contacted their wife yeah. or girlfriend or whatever it was at the time to make sure that they were good, to make sure there wouldn't be any jealousy issues because she knows how the road is. She knows how rumors get started. And she knows that she needs to kind of set up a relationship with the person that's going to, they're going to help each other make money. And she knew that she needed to talk to their wife just to get on that good plane. She emphasized that so much that just like Sherry just wanted, I just want to be sure because we're cool. And are we cool? Cool. And that's the thing too, like if you reach out to that person and and make that step, like, look, I'm, I'm going on my way to say this. Yeah. I don't have to say this, right. but I want to make this very clear. I'm here to make money. I'm here. I'm treating this as a business. I don't want you to think anything other. I don't want all those assumptions that you have. Yep. Put those aside, and this is what I'm here to do. Yep. Through everything I heard, Sherry is super loved. She had her demons. She had her problems with things. But at the end of the day, everyone vouches for her. Everyone loves her. Everyone respects her. And that's a hard thing to do in you know, uh, 20, 30 years of pro wrestling. So after managing Flair, Sister Sherry would start managing Harlem Heat, sucker. God damn right she fucking did. <laughs> this is this is this is the the Sherry that I uh, yeah. probably saw the most. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I I it's all bits and pieces of me during the WWF days because it was very hard for me to watch it. But like yep, when I was watching wrestling consistently, the way that I regularly saw Sherry was her managing Harlem Heat. She said she loved being paired with Harlem Heat. She said they always had her back. She always had theirs. Booker T even gave her away at one of her weddings. She managed them to seven WCW tag team titles. My favorite Sherry memory of her managing Harlem Heat, I'm surprised you guys didn't bring this up, is the Booker T promo. Oh, we're, I was about to break. We're, we're coming after you, <laughs> and then she kind of laughs and pats him. Is that right? That's that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> is he? And you see Booker T's like I screwed look- up royally. I mean, what? face palms yeah. with both hands. He's embarrassed. And the thing that I love the most is Sherry just puts her hand. <laughs> On Booker T's shoulder. In the moment where he feels the most embarrassed and ashamed, she's like, hey, you're still on TV. (laughs) It's going to be, just calm down. It's going to be okay. Just that calm, like that just, that tells me everything you need to know about Sherry Martell. And and somebody's worst moment, most embarrassing moment, how is she? She wasn't pulling away. She moved closer to a person. And, And that's what I think of with her. And I remember doing a shoot interview with Stevie Ray. Uh, and talking about Sherry and they were talking about how like she was in the company they didn't know how to use her and they were like they were talking about putting a manager with Harlem Heat and they didn't know and they kind of all were like give us Sherry and they and they were just thinking like you know no other woman's gonna work unless it's a woman who you could believe could kick somebody's ass and then she's I mean she's got the macho DiBiase HBK history like yeah, she she yeah. she had all these main event guys, yeah. and Harlem Heat obviously was on the come up. So you put Sherry with Harlem Heat, that gives them instant credibility, yeah. and she did a tremendous amount for them for that. Because when I, I mean, I recognized Sherry, and I saw her come out with these guys, and I go, oh, "Those Harlem Heat man, I got to pay attention <laughs> to them." Because Sherry Martell's with them, and yeah. Sister Sherry, and and that's the real, that's real fire. <laughs> yeah, and when you see those three come out, like you believe that all three of them could kick your ass, yeah. and and that's 
that's what you want. I think that's what made that package so perfect. Total badasses all the way through. With managing Harlem Heat, Sherry would get into a little love affair with Colonel Robert Parker uh, until <laughs> October of 96 when Harlem Heat fired him and Sherry had a match with him at World War Three, And she beat that ass wearing a red dress. The, the best part of this match is Dusty Rhodes just marking the fuck out when she hits him with a flying clothesline. He's like, she clotheslined him! She clotheslined him! Oh my God, she clotheslined him. And then uh, we need to point out, I, I told Nick to watch this the other night, but it's so oh, yeah. good. Uh, there's a Clash of Champions. Just look up Colonel Parker and uh, Sherry Wedding. They do the old White Chapel uh, roll up and get your wedding wedding in Vegas. Colonel Parker has spent all his money at the casino and he's out of money so he can't even pay for the wedding. So then he tells Sherry and then Sherry gets all mad and the Medusa hops out of a RV or something and then they start fighting. There's wedding cake everywhere. The best moment is where everybody starts slipping in the wedding cake, including Booker T. Everybody breaks kayfabe and they just start laughing their fucking <laughs> ass off. like laughing. <laughs> It's just a fucking dumpster fire. I feel like everyone's drunk. Mean Gene uh, is burying everyone at every opportunity he can. There's a line where uh, Sherry goes in the back of a, of the limo and Mean Gene does the old. I'm sure that's not the first time she's been in the back of a car. It's like, God damn, Mean Gene, what are you doing? Yeah, oh, uh, it's probably not the first time she's been in the back of a car. Ho, oh. <laughs> ho. So Sherry continued managing Harlem Heat until... July 7th, 1997, at a taping of Nitro when Sherry said she became bored, so she took four Somas without eating anything before that. And while waiting on a meeting with Eric Bischoff, she took four more Somas. So all she remembers is she was in Eric's office. She tilted her head back and slid down the wall right in front of her boss. So she was fired the next day, which happened to be her birthday. So after being fired by the two major companies at a time, Sherry would take some time off. She'd hit some random indies. Early in 99, she competed in a mixed tag match for Apocalypse Wrestling I've never Federation. Heard of that, ever. Uh, where she got pinned by Missy Hyatt, which is weird because usually you hear stories about Missy Hyatt getting pinned. Am I right, fellas? Oh, uh, you hackney fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Listen, if I if I'm doing that Missy Hyatt roast this fall, I'm not hiring you as a joke writer. <laughs> just because I was going to ask, but I'm Is now that a thing? possibly. Oh man. Uh, well, now I'm sad. In October '99, she appeared on Heroes of Wrestling, a pay per view met, uh, where she managed Greg Valentine in a match against George Still. Heroes of Wrestling pops up in a lot of these. Do you know anything about it? Oh yeah, I, it was my third episode of How Did This Get Booked. It is the considered the worst pay per view of all time. And where I where were those at? Oh, so it's one. It's just it's one just pay per view. It's pay per view. Oh, it pops up in everyone for just oh, wait, the worst is that moment. The Jake the Snake. Yeah, Jake yeah, the Snake yeah, masturbating. I got 22. <laughs> that one, correct. In 2000, she'd have a couple of actual matches in WCW. The first, January 19th on WCW Thunder, where she'd have a match against Medusa and lose. And on her final WCW appearance, she had a match with Mona, which she also lost. Which is Molly Holly. And she talked about how she was just blown away about how good Molly Ollie was. She's like, oh, man, this girl's good. Like, and it spoke very highly of her. And I know what I know about Molly Holly. I'm sure she cherishes that comment for the rest of her life. 
Also, too, about that time, Sherry Martel was working for IWM South, and she did a couple shots there with Ian Rodden. And also, too, some of the other people that were in the locker room about that time were Colt Cabana and CM Punk. And Colt shared this story before in that when they when Sherry was in the locker room, like she was always a blast and great to hang out with. And also, too, that was also during the time that people from the Jerry Springer show were looking to cast professional wrestlers to play some of the people on the Jerry Springer show. Wow. And they were like, you got to you know, pitch a story and we'll see if we can do it. And they pitched a story where I think it goes that Sherry was Colt's mom and Punk was sleeping with his best friend's mom. And that was going to be the episode of Jerry Springer and that's what they pitched that Cherry would be the mom and she'd be sleeping with oh, Punk man I wish this existed <laughs> yeah. holy shit but I think they they turned it down or they realized that oh no people would recognize who Sherry is and the jig would be up and, but then every imagine that later five years ten or you know now yeah. that would just it'd have 50 million views no it'd be the best thing ever yeah it'd be insane and I, th- I think I, if I remember the details of the story I, I think that was one of the things but yeah there's a a pretty cool match I think it's like I think Sherry wrestled Lexi Fife in, in an IWM South match I think I think you should go out of your way and see that because I think Lexi Fife is amazing if I'm remembering this correctly I'm pretty sure it's Lexi Fife versus Sherry Martel because I think we talked about it when Lexi Fife's diva diaries that we recorded so i think that's the match the only thing i remember when i'm looking up i can't remember who she wrestled but i remember seeing that sherry did a dog collar match and a false count anywhere match it might have been with lexi but i just remember it was like oh shit she's in a dog collar match and a false count anywhere match because like ian's like you know do some crazy shit yeah because he just had that building and like please <laughs> set yourself on fire yeah i don't know Skip ahead to 2005. She made a WWE appearance. Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle were building their feud to WrestleMania 21 when Kurt comes out to Shawn's music on a March 24th episode of SmackDown, followed by Sensational Sherry. Kurt would eventually do a parody of Shawn's music called Sexy Kurt, and I hate myself, but it was hilarious. However, the funny situation turns bad when Kurt put Sherry in an ankle lock which she sells like a god. About a year later, she was inducted into the 2006 WWE Hall of Fame by Ted DiBiase. There's some douchebag in the crowd screaming the entire time because sometimes wrestling fans are assholes. But she looked great. She was having fun, kind of slipping in and out of character her whole speech. She buries Bischoff in front of Bischoff. (laughs) And you just wish she would have used this money, this exposure to a new younger crowd, and this opportunity to get her shit together. But sadly, on June 15th, 2007, Sherry Martell died at her mother's house in McCalla, Alabama. She was only 49 years old. The toxicology report stated that she had died of an overdose. Final thoughts on Sensational Sherry. I was actually lucky enough to meet Sherry Martell. It was extremely brief. It was at a show in Kingsport, Tennessee. Um, She was riding to a show with Tom Pritchard, and she was managing on the show, and... I remember Tom walking in the locker room and asked, like, hey, is everybody dressed? And we're like, oh, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to bring Sherry in. 
and I didn't know I wasn't for sure I didn't know Sherry was that even was on the show Sherry, yeah. and then all of a sudden here comes Sherry and I tell him oh my gosh it's Sister Sherry and I remember her going around to everybody in the locker room and introducing herself and doing this very simple and small thing um, that that I try and do today is where she would shake everybody's hand and I, and, I, and this is how it happened with me I went over to shake shake her hand and I go hello Sherry my name is Jake she goes Jake pleasure to meet you just the fact that she said my name back yeah, right. you know and it was very engaged and just it just is very nice it is just very brief and that's the really the only interaction i ever had with her directly but i know she was a big influence on a lot of female wrestlers that, that i know i remember when she passed away there was this ten woman tag done in honor of her a few days after she passed. And I think like Allison Danger was in it, Sassy Steffi, Amber O'Neill, and maybe Chrissy Vane, and a couple other like indie girls that were kind of like locally. They did like this, I think it was like this, my name is 10 Woman Tag. I can't, I can't remember how many women are in it, but I remember they all wore black armbands in honoring of her. And I remember Amber O'Neill was very lucky enough to have a match with her on a Caroline Championship wrestling show. And I remember her always talking about how much she loved Sherry and just that little interaction she had with her. She was talking about how cool and awesome she was and you know, how much of an influence she was to her. And you know, I dated a female wrestler that just spoke very highly of her. I remember we, we watched that Survivor Series 87 match and just the whole time like every time sherry's doing something like i remember i remember the my girlfriend at the time just going gosh she's so good she's so good god she's so good god she's so good and even when i showed that 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 shoot angle in ecw or that angle where she's just like giving it to medusa you know she's like oh she's so good she's so good and i think about like oh you know the way female wrestling is is treated today you know the way it's portrayed today and just think about how she would how proud she would be of that. And, and then I started thinking about, you know, like I described earlier, the way Sherry was. She could be a legitimate, physically impactful, emotionally impactful presence, but also, too, she, she came off as strong, but she also had a, a sexiness about her that wasn't like, you know, like, oh, this is obviously what people's ideal images of sexy are. Yeah, yeah. So sexy was something that this is how I want to look. I want to have my hair this certain way. I want to put this glitter. I'll do my eye makeup this way. And people would refer to her as scary Sherry. But it was like, no, I am beautiful because I look like this. And individuality. Individuality. Was, and, yeah. and, and I just and it just I think of like you know girls like Ruby Riot, Sienna, yeah. Allison Kay, um, Chelsea Green, even to my, my ex-girlfriend Sojo Bolt. I remember her having a, a cage match against Danny Davis, Nightmare Danny Davis. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she, and Danny Davis used to paint his face and uh, like, like a lightning bolt. And she did the same exact thing like that. And she was like, oh, any, any excuse to put face paint on would be like Sherry <laughs> Martell, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. And she and she was definitely, a lot of things that she did, especially in Ohio Valley, very heavily influenced. But I think the big thing, to wrap this all up in a nice little bow, to do research for this, I listened to the, the RF video shooting review for this, and I didn't have time to sit down and watch it on the High Spots Wrestling Network or watch the DVD of it. All I had time to do was convert the download file to an audio file and put it on my iPod for me to listen on my flight back from Connecticut this weekend. 
And of course I put it on there and I want to make sure that I had it. So I just kind of skipped to a random part Mm -hmm. in the middle of the shoot interview. And it was during a part where she was talking about how female wrestling wasn't respected during her time. And she talked about how all the men were thinking of all the women were trying to, to get with the men and trying to sleep with them. And she said, women are not here to service men. They're here to achieve as much as they possibly can. And I just was like, this is just serendipitous that this is just the one part that I check yeah. on this whole interview and just skips From to this right, the this right, yeah. this one part. And I think it just sums up her perfectly, which she always fought for and hoped for female professional wrestling. Sherry Martell was so good at literally everything wrestling. She was like the Mrs. Perfect. You know, like, it didn't matter what situation you stuck her in. She could work. She could manage. She could talk. She could enhance a moment. And then she could just straight up steal the show. It sucks to see someone with her mind and her ability and her experience to, you know, not be around today. Imagine her as a manager on screen. Imagine her as a as a leader behind screen, you know. As a booker, as a writer, as a teacher, as a coach, I think it's one of the bigger losses for pro wrestling, especially the you know the way things are going now. She was awesome. She was uh, beautiful. She was intense. She was compelling, and she was sensational. I think one of the biggest compliments I saw while doing research and all of this, I didn't expect it to come up. It was really weird looking up all these. YouTube clips, you just type in Sensational Sherry or Sherry Martell, and I see what crosses over, and I just hit play a whole bunch and see what all I can get into. And I I usually click on the comments because I want to, maybe somebody's uncle saw something or somebody's cousin worked with her, blah, blah, blah. But if there's one place where somebody can will always get buried, no matter how great they are, no matter how much good they've done, it's in YouTube comments. And going through YouTube comments on Sherry, every fucking one was complimentary. Sherry was so sexy. Sherry was the best. Sherry was just superlative, superlative, superlative. And it was just like, I was like, this is YouTube comments. This is the lowest of the low. These are the people that just shit on everything. And I was like, man, Sherry Martell defeated YouTube comments. So uh, Sherry's shoot really, it really hit me hard. She had a very big heart. She understood how much she fucked up. She put everything on herself, which I think is what hurt so much. She didn't blame other people. She didn't put it on others. Sherry thought she was invincible. This is a quote that hit me. I saw all these women telling you what I'm telling you right now and saying, that is not going to be me. But you know what? It is. And I think she was 46 at this age, and it's just like, fuck. It's just... When you're young and you're hopeful and you're passionate and it's just, I don't know, other crap in my life right now, just that hit me hard because she just, she knew that she succeeded. She did great, but she knew she could have done better. She was asked about what she could say to her fans. Sherry said, only thing I could say to the fans is thanks. Thanks for everything. And I hope that at every point of my career, I've brought you each and every one of you some type of happiness. I hope it was worth it. It was for me. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to our Patreon where you can support this podcast like Juicy Juice used to support PBS programs. <laughs> Patreon.com slash 10 Pod. You can also support us for 
free by leaving us a review. We are at Tim Bell Pod on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Find Jake at Man Scout Manning on all the social medias. Check out his other podcast, How Did This Get Booked? Micah is Jay Trotter27 on Twitter, and I am Nicolessa on all the social medias. We're out of time. See you at Slamboree. Fuck, I haven't thought about Slamboree in a while.